So, I saw a fight this week. Oh, right, okay. Human yeah. or...? No animal fight. Right, okay. I yeah. don't pay to see it or anything. <laughs> it's not weird. Um, I was walking through the park, and I saw a squirrel fighting a crow. I, I feel like that must take place in, like, every park in every town. But have you ever seen it before? Have you ever seen a squirrel fighting a crow? No, I've never seen it. I just assume it's one of those things that happens. It's remarkable, you know? because obviously the squirrel's got the weight advantage, but the crow's got the flying advantage. It's Much the, like our last episode. Like our last episode, yeah. But, um, yeah, the, 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 the crow kind of, like, come down, did that, like, jumpy, flappy crow thing that crows do, that skippy thing. Right, yeah. And then the squirrel's like, no, whatever this detritus is that I've chosen to eat... Is my Detritus, not yours. This is my shit. So the crow did like a bunch of pecky, flappy shit. And then the squirrel um, used... Like the, like the crow equivalent of nunchucks. Like yeah, crow, just like yeah, yeah. squacking and yeah. And then the, the squirrel just jumped at a tree and then just used the tree to launch itself at the crow. Okay. Which shit up the crow big style <laughs> and the crow flew away. So Squirrel parkour. Yeah, squirrel or, one. Or I guess it's like... Just walking for squirrels, isn't it? Really, it's not parkour. No, it's not it's, like anything. It's parkour for the course. Pa- or park, or because they're in a park. In a park, yeah. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Do you want to? Should we just start? Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't written an intro for this week. I've literally just remembered this. But hi, I'm Drew Davis, and I'm Matt Troy, and, this and is, uh, we we make, make things, things fight. We make things fight. Yeah, yeah. We make things fight. We, we make things fight. Damn it! Um, <laughs> you can't a, stop us. No, no. Well, much as you'd probably like to at this point, because we're so unprofessional and... Oh, Jesus. Anyway, um, <laughs> we take two things and fight them to the bloody death and beyond. Uh, this week, uh, the badass, awesome female fighting forces from history, it's the Night Witches. Yeah. This is the YP- uh, YPJ. The YPJ. We're here for what is hopefully a much more professional fight news than the intro was. Uh, Matt, be professional. Uh, do I have to? Well, kind of. Okay, I'll try my best. I mean, I thought the intro was fine. I enjoyed my story about the squirrel. Um, As did I. <laughs> but, You're um, winning the fight for enjoyment this week. Yeah, that's what I like. You know, to sit back and enjoy <laughs> record the podcast that I do. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a little bit of uh, fight news. Um, just to keep you up to date, no additional news on the Cayman yet that, we, that was found under the school in, in Wales. It's because it's close to our hearts. We will be keeping an eye on that story. Mm-hmm. And I have put some boots on the ground up there with a couple of, uh, I've asked a couple of locals to keep keep their uh, ears open for me who either have kids at the school or who are involved in nefarious activities in the upper Ronda area. Right, yeah. Um, no new Ammonford news, but um, I think we're going to reach out to, to Ammonford guy. We're going to yeah. reach out to Van Fogey. Uh, in the next before the next you, episode and see if we can uh, maybe you've become quietly obsessed with Van Fogel. Uh, yeah, I've been listening in, in the to... way that you want to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to some. Of the, I, I'm struggling to hear a lot of the things that people say they can hear. But I don't want that to put people off because I kind of want Van Fogel to get his petition. Yeah. So I've signed it now. Um, and I've told you to. And I don't think you have. I haven't. Yet, no, no, but you should sign the petition because if nothing else... It costs you nothing, and we move this story a step further forward. Okay. And I think that's important. Um, so, in the absence of news, you want to create some news. Is it that... Get me a murder a day. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I say. Uh, if it bleeds, it's probably a sex dungeon in Hammondford. Uh, I don't know who said that, but... <laughs> 
Sounds strangely prescient. Also, I want to make a quick correction from last episode. Okay. Um, where I did say that I had been speaking to some guys from the Astonishing Legends podcast group. But it kind of sounded more like I said I was speaking to the guys from the Astonishing Legends podcast. That's definitely how I took it. Yeah, I know. That's how I took it when I listened. I was like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> right. Because like, the group is big and rich and full of really interesting people from across the globe. And they have way more experience with things like hunting Bigfoots and spotting yeah, yeah. cryptids than the two guys in the studio do. And I have conversed uh, with some of the researchers from the show as well. So, oh, yay! Oh, some some pop, proper beef row bros. What, what um, Obi-Wan Kenobi would say is true from a certain point of view. Oh, God, yes. A very yeah, old true. man with PTSD would say. Um, so, yeah, that out of the way. Shit, yeah. Yeah, it's Thank very you, severe. Yeah. PTSD. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, before we go on to the bit of fight news that I know you're itching to talk about... I am kind of itching to talk uh, about. I have one more bit of admin news. Okay. Um, this is from the uh, a bastion of uh, journalistic integrity, the Daily Star. Ah, uh, yes. Of course, yeah. yeah. Bizarre yeah. footage of black figure in forest dubbed best ever Bigfoot sighting. Fuck yeah, it is. It's really good, actually. It is really good. I mean, it could be a bear, but it, I mean, if it's not a bear, it's very clear. Uh, in a sort of a obscured by trees kind yeah, of way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so the article goes on to say, footage of a strange black figure rummaging around in a forest has been labelled the best ever Bigfoot sighting. Josh Highcliffe came across the creature while he was out hunting and decided to start filming it before it spotted him. In his video, uh, the figure bears a resemblance to humans with hands, arms and legs. It actually says that. Yeah, yeah, a resemblance like, to humans with hands, arms, and legs. It's like most humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it seems to be covered in black fur, matching descriptions of the mythological creature known as Bigfoot. As the clip comes to an end, the figure stands up and appears to be far larger than humans. Mm-hmm. Um, the size clearly has an effect on the cameraman who decides to run. Uh, Josh explained, There was a huge black thing crouched by a dead cypress about 50 yards away. I thought it was a hog. A dead what, sorry? Cypress tree. Oh, Cypress. I thought you said cyclist. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> Fucking hell. He thought it was a hog, feral or otherwise. Of course. Um, but How so many of them? 30 to 50. <laughs> it's about 30 to 50. <laughs> um, Were you like immediately over that about two days after it surfaced? Oh, my God. I've never become so sick of a meme. Yeah, just so So quickly. Like, the hour following the mention of 30 to 50 feral hogs, I was like... This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it was like the B-sharps. Each time you say it, it gets less funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh... 30 to 50 feral hogs, bigger than Jesus. Bigger than Jesus for for a, a hot second. Yeah, yeah, for like three days. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, Josh filmed the encounter. Uh, it says, Josh filmed the encounter back in 23, which is the future. When he was 23? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. The, the 2nd of March? Look, Josh filmed the encounter back in 23 near the Mississippi town of Tunica in the US. So Tunica? Tunica? Tunisois? Back in 23. Yeah. Yeah. So either, like, we've had major time They've dilation. They've also written seven feet there a bit weirdly. It's like yeah. seven and the word feet with no space. The important thing to remember is this, this is the Daily, Daily Star. Star. Yeah. yeah. Um... So, yeah, a couple of people have said, whoa, if it's real, it could be the best evidence ever. And then somebody said, but uh, it just shows a guy in a monkey suit. But whatever. Opposing viewpoints there from the start. That's, I, yeah, that's, I know. <laughs> that's something. That's the closest they've ever come to journalism, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it, it might be. Um, 
But yeah, no, well, that's my bit of um, a bit of news. So, camera versus Bigfoot in the never-ending battle to provide blurry <laughs> evidence. Um, what what have you got for us? I well, know I what mean, you've got. The, the, there's there's only one piece of fight news this week, isn't there? Really? There is. And yeah. Making his fight news debut on the podcast in episode seven, which in hindsight is shocking. It's the uh, it's the man who's been hate tangled. <laughs> it's Donald J. Trump. What? The President of the United States. Not in no way controversial figure Donald J. Trump, the, the 45th pre- President of the United States. Successful realtor, realtor Donald yeah. J. Trump. Okay. And his overtures to buy Greenland. He wants to buy Greenland. From, from, oh, fuck. From the BBC. U.S. President Donald Trump has cancelled a state visit to Denmark after the nation's Prime Minister said Greenland was not to sail for the U.S. The President was uh, scheduled to visit on on September 2nd at the invitation of Denmark's Queen Margaret II. Then, last week, Mr. Trump suggested the U.S. was interested in buying Greenland. Fuck's sake. An autonomous Danish territory. Danish PM Mette Frederiksen described the suggestion and, and as absurd and said she hoped Mr. Trump was not being serious. He was being absolutely <laughs> serious. He was. Ms. Frederiksen is due to give a statement later on Wednesday. It is Wednesday, by the way. I don't think that statement has happened yet. Um, let's Buy Greenland really sounds like one of those ideas that's like on the US State Department back burner. I think it was actually like men uh, did a bit of reading on this. Yeah, yeah. It was it was mentioned by Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson, yeah. In like eighteen forty, yeah, eighteen forty six. Andrew Johnson, if you don't know, is uh, Lincoln's vice president, and possibly up until right now is pretty much universally accepted as being the worst president in U.S. history. Well, uh, vice president or vice president. Uh, the, the both. Oh, when he became president. Yeah, when he became yeah, okay. president, because he was Lincoln's vice president. Yeah, he became president after. He sounds the a bit like um, a coked-up Alexander Haig figure, you know. Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty but, much. I mean, back when coke was probably just everywhere, yeah, just growing on trees, and you could just take it. Yeah, take it off and just yeah. nibble on it. Let's buy a uh, Greenland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those ideas, and Truman did offer to buy a Greenland, <laughs> and the response was pretty much the same back in '46 when he did it. Um. Fuck off, Harry. This this thing, I mean, this is such a, a frat boy. Like, it, this is like Donald J. Trump is the kind of guy who you go to a restaurant with and he sees what you're eating yeah, and yeah. he wants it more than what he's got, so he switches your plates and starts, yeah, yeah, starts yeah. eating it. Like, it's such utter bullshit. I, I can buy and sell your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever, we just get more. Yeah, like, yeah, but like, like I said, it's, that, it's the State Department thing of like, an idea on the back burner, like let's invade Greenland. Uh, sorry, let's buy Greenland. How would we go about invading Canada? Uh, you know, <laughs> Do you know what? That, that kind of idea. You know but because it it's like? Donald Trump, he's the only one who says, "What's that one right there? <laughs> buy Greenland. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Greenland's the big. Greenland's the big one right off Canada. Perfect. We could do that." <laughs> I like how your Donald Trump skirts between. Sort of drag act, <laughs> yeah. Donald J. Trump. Um, it's. Do you know what it sounds like to me? Go on. It sounds like. Do you know when you're uh, in a meeting in work or there's a project being going on in work and you've not been listening, and you just latch onto one thing, <laughs> and then you to you it makes perfect sense because it's the only thing you paid any attention to all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then everyone else is like, "What are you talking about?" Like that's so far down the list of things that we need to give a shit about. <laughs> yeah. Why are you even bringing this up? So, like, I think he's probably been in meetings for, like, about 
five or six months. And at one point, somebody just mentioned, like, buying Greenland in a passing way. Or, like, Greenland is uh, is the biggest island on Earth after Australia, which is also yeah. a continent. So yeah, it yeah, yeah. Technically loads, doesn't count or whatever. Loads of natural resources. Yeah. Um, we tried to know, buy it once. <laughs> the global warming thing that doesn't exist it means that the yeah. ice sheet is melting back, <laughs> revealing... More oil and, re- and more oil more and minerals gas. and toxic waste too. Which oh yeah, <laughs> loads of toxic waste that they like buried during the Cold War that they want to get back. Uh, I mean, I was I wasn't expecting uh, after after insulting Denmark last week to have last time. Sorry to have my 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 insults so massively swept under the rug <laughs> <laughs> by this international incident. <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't threaten to buy their whales. I know. know. <laughs> I'm the, this is another thing that worries me because Denmark obviously cares about Greenland. Yeah, like, exactly. Westminster doesn't care about, about whales. whales. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump wants to buy whales and turn into a massive golf course. Yeah, yeah. that could happen. I mean, at least but, it, you know, we'll get caddies to drive around in. That'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it's the fact that he's cancelled the trip as well. Like his reaction <laughs> has just been "fuck you." Fuck you it's, then. It's the equivalent of like. You go see a mate, and you're like, man, you've got a really nice caravan. I'm going to buy you a caravan. It's like, no. No, man, you can't buy my caravan. So, it's, uh, it's my caravan. Yeah. I, I like it. My my parents stay in there when they come over. Yeah, we don't want them in the house. They, yeah, yeah. They smell they, bad. They, yeah, they don't, we don't want them in the house. And, like, we disagree with their politics. They, yeah, they yeah. Really they, they're, they're really, they're incredibly like, racist. An they? hour a day is pretty much all we can handle. Yeah. I mean, we it, <laughs> racist parents are the equivalent of you know the indigenous people know, of Greenland. I, I think I want to. I think that the racist parents are actually more indicative of the high suicide rate and alcoholism in mm. Greenland. That's what they are. They're not the um, the native people are the um, the charming fixtures and fittings of the caravan. Yeah, because it's a good caravan. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to need to apologise to some natives at some point now, aren't I? And caravan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is like that though. It's it's like. It's kind of like he's done like an, an indecent proposal and said, "Here, can I give you like <laughs> yeah, five hundred bucks one to million fuck your da- wife? One million dollars for one night with your Greenland." <laughs> and they're like, "No, no." And then get the fuck away from me. And then he's like, "Well, I'm not coming around your house on Friday." And you're like, "Yeah, good, <laughs> good." I just, I, I really don't like the idea of the Americans with more indigenous peoples. Yeah, just. And- uh, yeah, just a huge piece of like. Is he trying to pull like a Thomas Jefferson here? Well, just like he wants to be the something purchase guy. Yeah, the Greenland purchase. Like, how much would you sell Greenland for? Um, I, I don't know, man. Mogwai not for sale, you know. <laughs> and there I we don't go. I think it was even that much he put up for it either. <laughs> Mogwai not for sale. That's two hundred dollars. <laughs> Okay, Rand Pelter. He'd, he'd probably say something along the lines of, it's a lot of money to these people as well. Because he's a um, fucking racist so dickhead. Anyway. Producer Kath is, is actually with us today in, in, in the quote-unquote studio. And uh, she is... Um, what have you got there? Greenland's GDP, $2.7 billion. So you're going to want more than $2.7 billion. Yeah, yeah. To, like, that, I mean, that's fuck all. He could pay for that himself. Yeah. <laughs> so he he has personally lost more than that in his numerous bankruptcies. <laughs> he has. Oh wow! What a fucking turd. Anyway, so anyway, uh, yeah. Donald J. Trump's uh, um, debut on the podcast. We should make him fucking fight someone at some point. It, 
it seems likely, I think, that yeah. at some point in the future that's going to happen. Coming reasonably soon. Yeah. I know we said we weren't going to do sex criminals, but <laughs> we'll make we, an exception in Donald I, Trump's I case. I think you can do it as long as we're not making that the reason why he's fighting. Why we're fighting them, yeah. 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 It's, it's a side note. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's fight news. That is fight news. I haven't got anything else at the moment. I haven't... Um, yeah, I said no further news in Hammerford or the Cayman, but we will be keeping an eye on it. And also any other Mothman or Bigfoot sightings, I will try and... If, especially if you see Mothman or Bigfoot. If you see Mothman or Bigfoot, please let, let us, us break. know. Please let us know. And break. if you yeah. have a blurry video, especially. If you have an illustration of your Bigfoot or Mothman that you may or you, you claim to have seen... Well, just like you and Bigfoot and all Mothman just hanging out. Yeah, like in a hot tub. That would be cool. Send it along. Yeah, yeah we'd like to see like that. Or just going to an old-timey 50s malt shop. Oh, that would be great. Or maybe... Yeah, sharing a, a milkshake. What about like a... Um, or a coke float. One of those open-air cinemas, what are they called? Like a drive-in. Oh, drive-in. Yeah. Oh, man. I'd like to see oh, that. It's, it's, it's cute as well, because like Bigfoot's too big. So his, <laughs> head, so his head has to poke out of the, out out of the, the sunroof. Sun <laughs> Oh yeah, that's good. Jesus Christ! Should we uh, move on to the fight? <laughs> yeah, but I suppose we better had. Okay, so onto the main event. Fight, 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 fight! I don't know what's happening now. Fight, fight. Okay, uh, I know that you've been excited about this. I'm incredibly excited about this. You would be. This is yeah. This is like maybe one of my favorites yet. Yeah. And like this is the first one, even more so than Bob and Tony, where like the reading up on them has brought like a little tear to my eye. Yeah, same like, here. A little little bit of a choke to my throat. So anyway, to the point. We are engaging the aerial combat unit of the Nachtexen or the Night Witches versus the Gorilla Fighters of the YPJ. Can you tell me a little bit about what the YPJ is, Drew? Um a little bit. Um, so are, you got yourself a you got yourself okay. a lesson there, you right? So the Women's Protection Unit, or YPJ, or uh, to put it in Kurdish, the Yekinian Palestina Jin, are an all-female militia currently fighting ISIS in the clusterfuck of human tragedy and violence that is the Syrian civil war. Oh boy! Uh, they are commanded by Nezrin Abdullah. So it is difficult to talk about the YPJ without discussing the Syrian Civil War. Oh, yeah. And it's a bit difficult to discuss the Syrian Civil War, really, and how it all came about without discussing the Middle East in general. Okay. So, uh, are you ready for Middle East history from the twenty from the early 21st, uh, early 20th century to the present in about two minutes or so? I am rock hard for this. Okay. Cool. So, I'd just like to cite my sources for this history. Okay. Um, the, my main sources, apart from various news articles and the like, are um, the very, very interesting book, A Line in the Sand by James Barr, and uh, Robert Evans's Behind the Bastards episode on Bashar al-Assad. Oh, wow. Um, I heartily recommend the work of Robert Evans and Behind the Bastards in general. Fantastic podcast about just decades throughout history. Okay. Pretty much. So, here is Middle East history in as short a time as I can make it. Okay. So, World War One, the Allies enlisted the Arabs' help to defeat the Central Powers, specifically the Ottoman Empire, which had ruled the Middle East for a Those long time. Pesky Ottomans. Pesky fucking Ottomans. The Arabs helped on one condition, that after the war they would have a self-determined Arab state run by Hussein bin Ali. 
After the war, the Allies fucked them over. No. I know, right? How about that? As long There's as no war, precedent for that. That's never not, happened. Not one. And it hasn't happened since. It is this one isolated incident wow. of European white powers fucking over I mean, brown people. It's not even it, as if not... the earliest work of Western literature was about an illegal war in the Near East I, I, in the Iliad. I know. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, so, um, as long ago, Britain and France had agreed to split the Ottoman territory between themselves. Ah, yes. In the Sykes-Picot Agreement. The Sykes-Picot Agreement can pretty much be accepted as one of those divergent points in history. Yeah. Like, like one of those real, like, bad things started to happen right here. Yeah. And I'll go into it in a little bit right now. Okay. So, Sykes-Picot Agreement split up. The Middle East into pretty much Syria in the north, controlled French. by the French, yeah. and Iraq in the south, controlled by the British. Yeah. The whole idea was, with America being the, the big new big boy in the scene, that they wouldn't be ruled over them because that was colonialism. But yes. they would instead be mandates. Mandates, yeah. Where they would rule them until they could self govern. Right, yes. Mandates. Twenty years later. World War Two ended. Oh yeah, which pretty much led to the collapse of Britain and France's colonial powers. Ah uh, yeah, and they were completely changed as nations in general. Former mandates pretty much overnight became their own countries. It was a case of right, fuck this, we're out. Good luck. So what you've got there is arbitrary borders that are drawn for strategic gain of European powers that no longer exist, which leaves. These countries made up of cultures and religions that are completely opposite and in lots of cases don't particularly fucking like each other yeah. and were only together in the first place because they had a bigger enemy in the Ottomans. Yeah. Um, in particular, the Kurds yeah. were left without a country entirely. And this uh. is a massive people um, and they live in a region which kind of roughly straddles Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria. Okay, so that's a big stretch of territory. That's a fucking massive load of territory. And all of those countries will routinely shit on the Kurds. Yeah, yeah. That's an important point. That's, yeah, that's something that has often come up you it, know, in the last... Since, since I've been alive, yeah. the word Kurds has been part of my vocabulary since I knew about politics in the Middle East. Yeah. For that very reason, yeah. Yeah, they are the... The whipping boys of yeah. of pretty much everyone in the region. Yeah, which is shit. So, speaking of Syria, um, the built-in instability that these kind of countries that never should have existed lends itself to means that they are very, very prone to coups, counter-coups, and then strongman dictators. Syria is no exception. So, since its in proper independence in 1949... Until 1971, he was subjected to a million different coups until Hafez al-Assad was third coup lucky and became ruler for life until his death in 2000, whereupon his fucking dickhead, pretty decent eye doctor, but really, really fucking bad human being, Bashar al-Assad, became president. How was he connected to the other Assad? Uh, Son. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. So... Let's fast forward now to 2011. Um, okay. Not to minimise the number that Bashar al-Assad did on his people yeah. up until then. Um, he was your typical Middle Eastern strongman dictator. Uh, but 2011, there was no real kind of opening shot in the Syrian civil war. 
Okay. Like civil wars just tend to happen these days. It's not like there's a scene on, uh, like the, there's a siege on. Was it Vicksburg that opened the American Civil War? Um, I think so. I should know this because I watched should that I? Ken Burns documentary like four times. Yeah, me too. But I get really swept up by the um, Sullivan Ballou letter and I forget. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's no opening shot or opening battle. It just kind of spitballs and spitballs. You get these because they, it's built up of so many different groups and so many different cultures and religions. It all just kind of breaks out into widespread chaos throughout the nation until yeah. an international body says, oh, there's, there's a civil war. Did anyone fucking notice that a civil war was, <laughs> was, was brewing there? Who was supposed to be stopping this? Who was supposed to be watching Syria? Um, so it grew out of the, of the Arab Spring in 2011. And as it spitballed and spread throughout the Arab world, um, it kind of grew up with this um, of a reaction to Assad's particularly brutal way of putting things down. Yeah. Um, there was a particular... You could say that the Arab Spring in Syria started with a particular moment of a group of kids writing, your turn now, doctor, after the falls of uh of um, Tunisia. Tunisia and Egypt. Yeah. So these kids just wrote your turn doctor on a wall in their school. Yeah. And uh, Assad's secret police acted in the way secret polices do. No. With these fucking 14 year old kids. Mm-hmm. And it all just spiraled out from there. Yeah, very badly. Yeah, very, very badly. So in the Syrian civil wars, you can probably guess there are numerous fucking sides in the conflict that are all kind of fighting their own little mini-wars. So you've got the Syrian armed forces, the Free Syrian Army, Jabhat al-Nusra, Hezbollah, Russia, Iran, the US, us. But most relevantly for our purposes, you've got ISIS. Oh, yeah. And the Syrian... And you've got ISIS and the Syrian Democratic Forces. So if there are good guys in the Syrian civil war, I'll go out on a limb and say it's the Syrian Democratic Forces. Okay. So it's made up of a coalition of Kurdish, Arabic, Assyrian, Chechen and Armenian militias who wish to set up a democratic, secular, decentralised Syria. They mainly occupy Rojava in northeastern Syria and the YPJ, the Women's Protection Unit, forms a major part of the Syrian Democratic Forces. This puts them at direct odds with ISIS and other Salafi jihadist uh, military groups for whom democratic, secular, and all-female militia are deal-breakers. Yeah, for sure. Those ISIS guys yeah, are um, yeah, a real bunch of jackasses, They're aren't not they? fucking chill. <laughs> so since they were established as a strictly female-only militia in t- April 2013, the YPJ has grown to an alleged force of over 24,000 members wow. as of March 2017. Now, that's alleged by them. Yeah. And they are, like, they're a Viet Cong-type organization yeah so it's kind of impossible to tell how many of them there actually are but i suppose that their own figures are the ones to be trusted the most i imagine that the, that kind of army doesn't stop at its parade ground like it's a theoretical parade ground if you will and that they get, have people I'll, who are half in half out i'll get into that later cool okay um they were instrumental in the battle of kobane in yeah. 2014 and pretty much managed to wreck ISIS using nothing but antique AK-47s, handmade grenades, and tanks that they jury-rigged out of JCBs and pickup trucks. Fuck yeah. So fucking cool. Um, They were also involved in a battle against ISIS ISIS at Mount Sinjar, 
where they helped rescue 10,000 Yazidi Muslims wow. from genocide after they were fleeing from ISIS and got trapped in the mountains. Shit. I remember so, that, yeah. Yeah, so with US air support, they managed to create like cool. a 30-mile-long a corridor Yeah. down which the Yazidis just ran and yeah. managed to escape. Wow. Um, to this day, the YPJ is still involved in fighting ISIS forces in northern Syria and have been known to accept foreign volunteers. All right. Um, women from from formerly ISIS um, formerly ISIS occupied territories quite often join up with them. Oh man! And um, the Yazidis went on to form their own militia, which cool. was partially trained by so the YPJ. Out there at the moment, there's um, like a Yazidi or Kurdish sort of George Orwell writing their own version of Homage to Catalonia yeah that, that one day but, is going to be the coolest book ever written yeah but handling it a lot better than all oh yeah yeah I mean <laughs> yeah I mean yeah 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 um just to briefly mention now um but I'll go into it in a lot more detail later they are internationally recognised for changing how women are perceived in a part of the world where they pretty much been widely abused, disadvantaged, and treated like third-class citizens. Yeah. For, well, let's just say since two guys called Sykes and Pico drew a fucking line. Drew some lines. So yeah, that is the uh, the YPJ. Yes, I have a lot, lot to say about the Night Witches. The, the I know who the Night Witches are. They are so fucking cool. It is so cool. Before I start, though, I just want to say as well. Um, uh, Explaining History podcast uh, by my friend Nick Shepley, a pal of the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, one which I've recommended on uh, Instagram and Facebook previously. Yeah. Actually, there's two very good episodes called uh, French National Pride and Empire, 1944, and Britain, America, and Palestine, 1939 to 1942, oh, cool. which covers a lot of the starting of, of, of your stuff, which I listened to recently cool. and got a great insight into into the region. So check those out if you're cool. interested yeah, in check getting more... On, on the origins of this shit situation, mm. the shit over situation that we have at the moment. But anyway, that aside, I just want to acknowledge my sources and then I'll go into um, my little spiel yeah. on the Night, the night Witches. Um, is one of your sources uh, the amazing song Night Witches by Sabaton? <laughs> Sabaton. You know what? I came across that whilst the, I, 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 yeah, it, I fucking it, love that song. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, I, I'll be honest with you. It didn't tell me a great deal about what I needed to know, but I well, I did rock out. Is that what people do? I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. I yeah, rocked out to it. Yeah. No. Um. So I, the, my main sort of sources this week have come from the History Guy on YouTube and the Stuff You Missed in History podcast, mm-hmm. um, both of whom provide incredibly interesting, uh, different perspectives as well on the night witches. Um, Stuff You Missed in History uh, guys were, got really into this and that was really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, also, uh, for a hot second, I got hold of some stuff from Night Witches and told stories of Soviet women in combat, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm hoping to get proper hold of, to read all of. Cool. Because it looks proper awesome. But anyway, I'm going to get little bits and pieces from that. Um, so anyway, I'll begin. So the story of the Night Witches starts with Marina Raskova. Okay. She is a famous Soviet pilot and navigator. So born Marina Malanina in uh, 28th of March 1912. She started work at the Aeronavigation Laboratory uh, of the Air Force Academy as a draftswoman in 1930. And in the 30s, Raskova became a famous aviator as both a pilot and a navigator. 
and was the first woman to become a navigator in the Soviet Air Force. I, she, she can't cool. be underestimated. She is like the Soviet Amelia Earhart. Cool. Um, incredibly interesting. So, so like any uh, any stories about how she managed to go from draftswoman to? Because um, around that time it would have been what Lenin or Stalin and like, uh, uh, so at that point <clears throat> I guess still Lenin at that time I think yeah yeah, um, yeah. so interestingly enough um, air uh, pursuits were a common hobby in the interwar okay. years yeah. in in in, uh, in Russia and it wasn't strictly a male thing a lot of women like there's a couple of small stories later on showing how some of these people got into doing this okay. and it was a popular pastime uh, and like they were being the Soviet Union there were ways for people to get into it in a sort of a you know hobbyist kind of way right um, you know it's the kind of thing that might come in useful for your population you know if people can fly and the yeah. future is on its way yeah you know? yeah fair point yeah um, so anyway in think 19- of the way the industry is going yeah like taking to the skies yeah exactly yeah. yeah in 1934 she became the first woman to teach at the Zukovsky Air Academy um, in 1935, she got divorced from her husband, who she had a child with, um, and then she gained, the year later, quite a celebrity status as a pilot navigator, achieving several records, including the most famous of these, which is the Flight of the Rodina, right. which is Russian for motherland, right. uh, setting an international woman's record for straight-line distance flight from Moscow uh, to Koms... <sighs> this is going to be a lot of this. <laughs> Komsomolsk in the far east of Russia. Uh, when the finally completed, the flight took 26 hours and 29 minutes over a straight line distance of 5,947 kilometers, which is- Fuck, so like a, one end of Russia to the other? Yeah, yeah, so 3,695 miles. Um, so, they... so I'm guessing like her fame wasn't just based on her, and she's a lady. Yeah. It was, it was literally a case of, she is just fucking awesome. The fact that she's a woman There's, is... You'll be surprised how there are no duds in this. Like, it's not just because anybody's a lady. Everybody's a fucking aviator. Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck. But, uh, what, <laughs> any idea about what, like, how society viewed them? Was it a case of, like, ah, look at these women doing this. Oh, they, look, they are so pretty. Or was it literally a case of, yeah, they're doing it? They loved it. Like, she was <laughs> incredibly famous in the Soviet Union. This, I, I haven't even finished the story yet. Mm. But this story brought her to the attention of Stalin himself. She was okay, such a big right. thing. Yeah. But anyway, the coolest part of the story is yet to come. <laughs> when they reached their destination, they were struggling to find the airfield due to poor weather and uh, uh, kind of like flying around looking for where the final destination was. <laughs> Fucking terrifying. Terrifying. This is not like a bit of fog. This is Russian poor weather. Yeah, yeah. So, like Siberian poor weather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the end of the flight when like... Fuel must be dwindling, and uh, you've, you've, get you've been up for 26 hours. So, Fuck. Uh, so Ruskova, um, who was in the navigator's cockpit, which was not accessible to the rest of the plane, right? she realised they might need a little bit of fuel, extra fuel, to reach their target, mm-hmm. so she bailed out. Fuck! <laughs> she jumped out of the plane and, uh, and parachuted to the ground. And survived for 10 days. Fuck! In the wilderness. Holy shit! I know. Until she was eventually found by a hunter who reunited her with the rest of the team. They'd landed, like they'd done a forced landing wherever they needed to get to. Yeah. And they'd been waiting eight days to be rescued. And then they waited another two for it to catch up. Fuck. So so it's Amelia Earhart with a happy ending. <laughs> it's Amelia Earhart where they almost spent 10 days of killing animals and eating their guts. I don't know what she was doing out there. Like, 
she survived like 10 days in Siberia straight up you know like literally where they send you as a punishment yeah it was meant to be it was a place they sent you to die I know fuck all three women were decorated with hero of the Soviet Union award the first women ever you fucking think so I know the first woman ever to receive it and the only ones until the outbreak of the war to get it um, on the outbreak of World War II, Raskova is credited with using her personal connections to Stalin to form three combat regiments for women. Right. Following a speech by Raskova in September 1941, Stalin ordered the formation of the all-female 102nd Aviation Corps, including not just female pilots, but engineers and support staff. So, l- literally an all-female... Completely all-female um, uh, regiment, yeah. Prior to this, there had been numerous uh, women volunteers who had trained as pilots. And while there were no formal restrictions on women serving in combat roles in the Soviet Union, applications tended to get mysteriously tied up in red tape, if okay. you know what I mean. Um, Is that like an institutional thing or just down to like... Yeah, I, I guess it was... Individual misogyny. I, I think it was probably... There's probably a memo that went out to discourage it, I reckon. Mm. I can't see that just... I, I think it was, yeah, like an institutional thing. Okay. So anyway, the regiment was made up of three elements. There was the 586th Fighter Aviation Regiment, and they were equipped with modern Yakolev Yak-1, Yak-7B, and Yak-9 fighter planes. Like, that... They were, like, the best planes that Russia had to offer in the, the start of the war. They looked like hurricanes, basically. Oh, shit. Yeah, so they, they weren't, like, fobbing them off with... No, this is... One of the big like... misconceptions is that, obviously, we know what the Night Witches flew in, but... It wasn't just give the women these shitty old airplanes mm. and maybe they'll all die. Yeah, see what they can do with it. This them. was the serious thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, they um, destroyed 38 enemy aircraft and flew in 125 battles. Fuck, that's a, that's a good, it's good record. It is yeah. a good record, yeah. And then there's the 587th Bomber Aviation Regiment, um, later renamed the 125th Guards Bomber Aviation Regiment. To be renamed a Guards Regiment is basically to have an honour bestowed upon you. Right, yeah. Um, Raskova commanded this unit herself until her death, whilst um, uh, leading uh, two other Petlyakovs to an airfield near Stalingrad. I'll come on to that later. Okay. Uh, contrary to popular belief, that has arisen over the last few years as stories of the night which has circulate on Facebook memes and news articles. The 587th were given the very best of the Soviet bombers, and uh, Petlyakov PE2 um, was, was that plane. Um, so while a lot of other male units actually used obsolete aircraft which caused considerable resent- resentment as like, you can well imagine yeah but fuck um, um, I find it weird that like the, the story's been morphed through like the you, through memes and stuff like that ah, into them having the bad wait, equipment wait there's more okay so uh, the 587 flew 1134 missions dropping over 980 tons of bombs and uh, produced five heroes of the Soviet Union. That was the Fuck. day bombers. Okay. Ah, here we so go. So the final element is the 588th Night Bomber Aviation Regiment, later redesignated in February 1943 as the 46th Taman Guards Night Bomber Aviation Regiment. Again, they were honoured with the um, the guards uh, moniker. Yeah. Nicknamed the Night Witches, or... The Nacht Hexen. Yeah, I'm guessing that wasn't a self-applied nickname either. I mean, it, I, I, if I was in their situation, that's what I'd call myself. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, given to them by the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, commanded. And, oh man, it's like the. Coolest... I'd, have, I'd have listened to them in like the the, uh, the late nineties. Uh, yeah, you know, trying to annoy my parents. Yes, commanded <clears throat> by Major uh, Yevdokia Bershenkaya. Again, I'm sorry if I'm messing these up. The aircraft were the Polyaprov PO2, or also known as the U2, mm. um, uh, which is a very outdated biplane. Um, they were the only one of the three regiments to remain solely female throughout the war, a distinction that they went went to some lengths to maintain. Right. Um, so as I said, they were led by Major uh, Yevdokia Bershenskaya. I should get used to saying it because I'm probably going to say it again. Uh, she was uh, born in 913... Uh, both of her parents died in the Russian Civil War, and she was raised by her uncle. After graduating from secondary school, she enrolled uh, in the um, Bataisk School of Pilots in 1931 mm. and uh, became a trainer. Uh, upon the formation of the 102nd, 122nd Aviation Regiment, she was chosen to lead the 588 Night Bomber Regiment and was later awarded the Red Banner twice for her work there, amongst a slew of other awards. Yeah. So the Night Witches, they flew, um, the 588 flew harassment bombing and precision bombing missions against the Germans uh, from their formation until the end of the war. At its largest, it had over 40 two-person crews. Uh, the regiment flew over 23,000 sorties, Fuck. dropping over 3,000 tons of bombs and 26,000 incendiary shells. It was the most highly decorated female union, uh, unit of the Soviet Air Force. With many pilots having flown over eight hundred missions for the end of the war, I know, and twenty-three having been awarded hero, twenty-three having been awarded the hero of the Soviet Union title. Like, so, like, what hero of the Soviet Union? What what's like? Is that the top combat medal? That, yeah, yeah, Medal of like Honor, Medal of Honor, or Victoria Cross. Cross? Yeah, Fuck. you know, it's in fact probably in the UK, it's the equivalent of receiving like a, a, a low honor, you know, a low sort of. Oh sh- shit! So like a yeah a title. Well, not like a title, but you know, like some sort of big queen thing, you know. <laughs> big queen thing. As in she the queen. The yeah, she takes the thing with the sword. Yeah, the sword. Uh, um, <clears throat> Thirty-two of its members uh, died in the war. So to understand the method, it's not fucking bad going. It's not bad going. The the, the numbers that they crunch over this are insane. I <laughs> they do okay. So to understand their methods of attack, uh, you first of all have to understand their equipment. Right. So the Polyakopov uh, PO2 or U2 plane, um, so the whole of the uh, 122nd were trained on these things. Yeah. Whereas the day bomber and the fighter regiments went onto the modern aeroplanes, the night witches were stuck right. with these, these things. Um, Is that because they were like... It was a case of like we kind of don't need to do those. They were or? they were okay at what they did. I mean, night bombing in this style is actually quite a, a science. Is a bit like they they were using the Korean War as well, and I think they did like quite considerable damage to American jet planes right. on the ground. But was it a case of like it wasn't that they needed to hit like that factory? that military installation it was more a case of oh just bomb the shit out of this yeah, particular um, airfield I'll come on to that um, okay. there, there's, there's bits about this too so um, uh, yeah so the, the, the PO2 the planes had numerous nicknames including the sewing machines the maze dusters and the crop dusters the latter two which the are sewing especially machines. pertinent as these planes were literally crop dusters oh, what literally hugging the ground flying tractors Fuck. yeah um, they have the honour of being the most produced biplane in history, with as many as 30,000 built between 1928 and 1959. Okay. So in combat... In 1959? Yeah. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. 
This is a popular place. Like I said, this served in the Korean War. Like the North Korea sent these up against the Americans in the Korean War. Shit. And I'll show you a picture one later on. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's bullshit. It's like, sorry, this plane is a fucking travesty. <laughs> and the travesty is coming, right? Okay. So in combat, I've, I've, I've arranged this into against and pro uh, and, and for sort of uh, camps. Let's we'll start with the against. They were noisy as all hell. The sewing machine nickname <laughs> came from the fact that they made a tick, 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 <laughs> like a sewing machine as they flew. The engines and exhaust sometimes spat literal fire from them. Jesus. Which wasn't ideal as the planes were made of canvas plywood. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, they were so slow that the night witches had to launch them from mobile airfields a few miles from the front line so they would have enough fuel to complete their mission. Oh, Jesus. And return back to base. Uh, this proximity to combat also caused the added issue that it was entirely possible that whilst they were bombing, the, the Germans might have taken the land that they, t- they took off from. <laughs> they were that close Jesus. to the front line. So literally, like, just inching back and forth yeah. as the fighting went on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Shit! Um, they also didn't carry parachutes uh, for most of the war because they flew... At super low altitudes, and they weren't any. Well, yeah, parachutes. yeah, well, they weren't going to work. They just weren't any parachutes. Uh, or was it literally a case of there were there were no parachutes left? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that comes up again later on with their equipment. Sometimes it's the Soviet, you know, the Red Army in World War Two. Sometimes there just isn't stuff. Oh yeah. Later yeah. on, they did get parachutes. Like to the, it, it got to the point where like pretty much all they have is bodies. Well, it's like you saw an enemy at the gates. And yeah, they, oh, yeah. they charge at the beginning it's like when the man in front of you was shot those without take a rifle his take yeah. his rifle and you're like yeah. fuck um, so I've lost my space I'm very sorry <laughs> I was in a meeting today where everyone had to like share laptops oh yeah exactly half of the meeting had brought their laptops oh man so, nothing's worse than sharing a computer yeah but imagine how bad it is sharing a fucking gun yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, anyway four this is the arguments for right, um, yeah. the uh, the sewing machines. One of the other nicknames for this plane was given to it by Finnish fighters, and that was, this is cool as fuck, yeah. the nerve saw. <laughs> <laughs> is that like, because the, the, the noise was like psychological warfare, is that what they get? Yeah, like, I mean, that is, oh, that is the best. so be- cool. Like, when I started this, it was like, Nachthexen is the best metal band name in mm. the world. Now I think the nerve saw is probably just a little bit better. Yeah. Also, it sounds like it's probably not going to be as racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyway, um, so, uh, I mean, this basically says everything about what I was capable of. These planes generally only carry two bombs. Yeah. Um, it's often reported they carry one or two bombs. So some models could carry eight, and some models, or some variants, had a light machine gun on there. It's, it depends who you read and what they're armed with. Okay. But the most authoritative sort of source on it, I said maybe later some of them could carry up to eight bombs. Um, so the material effects were relatively small, but the psychological effect on German troops was insurmountable. The surprise attacks in the middle of the night denied them sleep, kept ground units on their guards, and contributed to the already high stress uh, of combat on the Eastern Front. Like, they harried the German troops. Yeah. These were um, harassment bombers and sometimes precision bombers. Yeah, yeah, um, so the, 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 that's what I meant earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like, are they just bombing a blanket area <clears throat> with the, the motive of just yeah. putting the shits up them? So the tactics for them uh, involved uh, using them flying only a few metres above the ground, right? Fuck. Climbing for the final approach, throttling back the engine and making a gliding bombing run approach. 
leaving the targeted troops with only the eerie whistling of the sound oh, on the wings. Fuck. <laughs> which uh, they said sounded like witches' broomsticks flying yeah, through yeah, the air. Yeah. Hence the term Nachtexen, yeah. the night witches. And also, it's like a, something from a fucking horror movie. I know. It's just like the monster. Silence. The monster from Jeepers Creepers just swooping down to pick you up. Because, like, imagine, like, you can hear a tractor in the distance, and then you can't hear a tractor, then the but tractor is, is dropping bombs on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the next bit also made me laugh my ass off, right? Luftwaffe pi- uh, fighter pilots found it extremely hard to shoot them down, because the pli- pilots flew at treetop level, where they were hard to see yeah. or engage. And their stall speed of both the Messerschmitt 109 and the Focke-Wulf uh, FW190, uh, yeah, 190, were similar <laughs> to the <laughs> maximum speed. They were too fucking slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you ever played like a, a fighter pilot game, like I play like a, this World War II yeah. simulator game, yeah. and one of the really fucking annoying things is when you're fighting against a slower aircraft is you have to just pull back your throttle to keep it in front of you long enough to spray it with bullets in the general direction to shoot it down. You know when um, Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons is going to blow up Springfield yes! and he steals the, the Wright Brothers, Brothers plane? plane. <laughs> 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 to get out and chase him on foot. Yeah, it is exactly like that. Um, so um, it's made it difficult for the fighters to keep them in weapons range for an adequate time period. They were literally too slow to shoot down. So that's fucking crazy. It's so, it's that's so fucking crazy. It's so cool that they make these terrible disadvantages work for them. Yeah, but it's that it's that gorilla thing again. It is, isn't it? It you is. Know, it's like how the how the fuck can you fight a flying <laughs> tractor? It's just gonna drop like what are essentially petrol bombs on you. <laughs> yes. It's like I've got a howitzer, but it doesn't fucking matter because it's covered by trees. Like once, a, like there are a certain like position of you, it's hard to like lower the guns, like the, yeah, yeah. the aircraft cans, low enough to be able to shoot at them because they're designed to hit something that much That's higher above up you. above you. So, what was it like to be a night witch? Like, most of the pilots were young women between 17 and 26 with some flying experience. There's a, quite a touching story, actually, about one of the um, uh, night witches when they kind of left their home. Um, she, was, she packed a doll in her suitcase, and right. her mother, like, took the doll out and said, you're 18 now, you don't want to you... take a doll to war oh, with you. Man. And, like, it just broke my heart. Like, I wanted her to take the doll to war with her. Mm. Uh, as can be expected, there's a, there was a great deal of prejudice and suspicion from their own side during... Um, sort of their formation training because obviously yeah, there's yeah, going to be that. There is, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of like yes, it's, it happened. I'm not going to go too far into it. I want to stick onto the guys, but yeah. you know, we'll we'll cover bits of it as we go along. Um, uh, so yeah, so uh, do, yeah, during uh, training, they were escorted by other Soviet fighters, um, and they were kind of sort of doing their first kind of so- training Soviet mission, and the fighters dropped between them and kind of broke the formation. Yeah, but they freaked out and scattered. And had them, they had their asses sent back to basic for another two weeks because they, these, they, they weren't ready. And I think they were obviously fucking around with them, I reckon. Yeah. You know, just sort of like messing them up to yeah, kind of... Don't be fucking dead. To embarrass them, you know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's that my opinion. They might be perfectly normal to do that. I'm not a pilot. Um, uh, despite, not? No, surprisingly. I mean, after this, I want to be... Uh, despite this those supply uh, issues um, they suffered were usually just wartime considerations it's often kind of made that they were just given like any old shit uniforms again it's a Soviet Union in warfare if you've got boots you're lucky as fuck yeah so they wore men's uniforms because they simply weren't any uniforms available to fit them many of them had sewing experience so did what they could to tailor them 
Shoes were a different matter, uh, so many of them stuffed their large men's boots with paper to make them fit better. As it was a man's world, they did what they could to retain their femininity and their identities. And I think this is really cool. Mm. They painted their planes with flowers. Oh, that's <laughs> fucking incredible. It's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> and um, they died. You, know, like the, the, you have like the helmets, the, yeah. the, the leather helmet. Like, you have like a silk under helmet. They yeah. sort of like dyed those, like the old identifying colours to wear underneath the main helmet. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. I love that. And they addressed each other by their first names as well. Like they... They respected the rank when the kind of officers were around, the male officers were around, but when it was just themselves, they yeah. just generally just called each other by their first names. They would fly from sunset, uh, and a night which is plain would take off every three minutes until sunrise. Fuck. They sometimes had to climb out of the fuselage of the, of the aircraft to knock errant engines back into life or encourage bombs to drop. Fuck hell. Despite being very difficult to shoot down, Luftwaffe uh, fighter ace uh, Josef Kosikok, I think, um, grounded the regiment for an entire night by shooting down four of their planes um, on the night of the 31st of July to the 1st of August, 43. Uh, because of this, he earned himself the nickname Hexenjaga, or Witch Hunter, amongst his men. <laughs> he died in a mid-air collision shortly Good. afterwards. Good, fuck him. <laughs> they actually figured out a way of them shooting them down as well later on in the war. They, right. were, they used to shoot up like flares and searchlights, but instead they fired up tracer rounds. Okay. And tracer yeah. rounds were fucking... They were like silver bullets to these planes because fire. They were literally made of cloth. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so look. Yeah. So, the, oh, the, their last mission took place over Australeka on the twenty fifth of August, nineteen forty four. They managed to drop a bomb on the target, but oh, do you know what? I missed a whole bit out. Um, an example of the number was Tatiana Makarova, who was a pilot from an ordinary Russian working-class background. Um, she was promoted to the position of squadron commander, but after eight of her members were shot down over Kaban one night, she blamed herself and requested to be demoted back to flight uh, commander, um, which was accepted. Yeah. Uh, she was inseparable from her navigator, Vera Belik, and to improve the accuracy of her attacks, Makarova would often fly down to 100 and 150 metres before dropping the bombs. She and Vera became the first crew from their regiment to bomb German territory um, in uh, in that mission. They dropped bombs on East Prussia. So that was when the Soviets yeah. were pushing yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last mission took place over Australeka on 25th of August, 1944. They managed to drop a bomb on the target, but the enemy spotted the aircraft, having triggered searchlights and anti-aircraft munitions. A fighter followed their aircraft and they returned to airbase, were shot and shot their plane down over Soviet territory. Due to heavy payload, the... Um, uh, the plane that had to carry for the night bombings. Neither Makarova nor Belik had parachutes, and the two perished on the, in the burning plane. Um, Makarova flew a total of 628 sorties, during which she dropped 96 tons of bombs, resulting in the destruction of two ferries, two anti-aircraft guns, one searchlight, two ammunition depots, and killing more than two platoons of enemy soldiers. Two platoons? Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I know. Fuck. Um... Yeah, so in total, 261 people died in the regiment, of whom 32 died of various causes, including plane crashes, combat deaths, and tuberculosis, in addition to 28 aircraft written off. 23 personnel from the regiment received the hero, uh, the title Hero of the Soviet Union, two were awarded Hero of the Russian Federation, and one was awarded Hero of Kazakhstan. Um, Major uh, Yevdokia Bershinskaya survived the war, and married um, Konstantin Bokharov, the commander of the 889th Light Bomber Aviation Regiment, uh, which had worked closely with them during the war. Uh, the wedding was attended by many of the former members of the regiment. They had three daughters, and in 1975, she was awarded the title of Honorary Citizen of Krasnodar. She lived in Moscow and died in 1982. 
Um, Major Marina Raskova died in, on the 4th of January 1943 in a crash landing on the Volga Bank near Stalingrad. She was given Shit. the first state funeral, Soviet state funeral of the war. Fuck. Um, uh, one of uh, the most famous quotes from the um, Night Witches comes from one of their members, Nadia Popova. Um, she became obsessed with flying when a light aircraft landed in her village uh, when she was 15 years old. She went behind her parents' back and yeah. basically taught herself to fly. Um, on August 1942, she was on a day recon- reconnaissance mission when she was attacked by Luftwaffe fighters and forced to make an emergency landing near Cherkesk. Trying to return to her unit, she joined a motorized column and amongst the wounded she met a future husband, fighter pilot Semyon Kalamov. She later flew a relief mission through enemy fire, dropping food and medical supplies uh, and nearly not making it. Um, she, uh, where are we? she found a aircraft riddled with bullet holes right down to a map and her helmet. So most, uh, she flew um, a personal record of 18 sorties in one night, completed 852 sorties in the war. And most articles uh, quote um, a story about her, which is, and I'll make no exception about this as well. She's once in an interview close to her death. She said, I sometimes stay into the blackness and close up. To, I close my eyes. I still imagine myself as a young girl up there in my little bomber and ask myself, Nadia, how did you do it? Fucking hell. Man. I know. And that's the guys. <laughs> oh, man. I don't want him to fight, but it's kind of the point of this podcast. It is the point of this podcast. <laughs> uh, should we get to it? Let's do it. So they are our two combatants. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the first time we've done a group. Mm-hmm. It is the first group. time we've done a group. Yeah. Um, so obviously the rules are going to slightly change to reflect mm-hmm. that um, as we go into the, into the first round, which, as is tradition, is the strength. Yeah. We know it starts with strength and then it can kind of mix up beyond that because we don't know what order it's ever done in. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it starts with strength. Um, okay. So... Looking at strength here, we have to look at the strength of these as as, as units, essentially, yeah, yeah. as teams. Now, it's as tough because obviously they're different combat styles. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that the um, the YPJ probably shoot down the, the 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 night witches with modern weaponry. I mean, I couldn't find any account of them going up against. Um, planes really because the their primary antagonists are ISIS yeah who are a ground, pa- a ground yeah. base force as well I, I don't think ISIS has an air force I didn't read anything about I, them I doubt it has I mean it, I, I can't imagine they'd have the resources to sort of run it you know because yeah. the air force takes a lot yeah and they, they generally don't really so the main kind of um, air based um, people who would be against the um the YPJ in this situation would be um, like the Russians and the Syrian armed forces. So the Russians they, are fighting with Assad, is that right? Russians are fighting with Assad. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so it would be the Russians and the Syrian armed forces. Oh, yeah. Um, which they don't really tend to fight that no. as much. Okay. Um, if they've got a, any kind of um, conflicts with any military, it's usually the Turkish military. Ah, yeah. But uh, yeah. it's mainly a ground-based thing. So okay. I'd say that Night Witches probably have a little bit of advantage. With the strength. With the strength, because they've got... Because they are flying. What the 
YPJ do have, however, yeah, on occasion, is US Air Support. Oh yeah, yeah, that that's a real game changer. Yeah, yeah, just a couple of days of that can really turn things around for you. Mm-hmm. Also, not they... not official. So, oh right, okay. The, so... the US kind of see them. Um, they're not allies. No. Um, because of some shaky political allegiances. Yeah, you I could bet. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the PKK in Turkey, which is the Kurdish Workers Party. Oh, all right, I see. <laughs> um, which is designated as a terrorist organization. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, they're um. Pretty much everywhere. They they are the ones agitating for the Kurdish state. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their methods in Turkey have been well. They they are terrorists. Okay. Basically, um, so they're not directly affiliated with them. Mm. Um, but still, that's why the Americans are kind of reluctant to call them allies. They see them more as proxies, who they can kind of use to do their groundwork without putting up troops on the ground. So. I guess the other thing that you've got is numbers. Um, yeah. So, like I said, um, 24,000 is their number as of March 2017. Yeah. Um, but let's call them 20,000. Let's, let's say, let's, let's round it down. Um, which is still a pretty significant fighting force, but it's not an army. This is 20,000 cells of around 500 or so scattered throughout. They're not an army in the, in the traditional sense. And I suppose with the Night Witches, we're looking at about 261 people. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, to be fair, they they were fighting against a much larger force too. Yeah. Um, but if we're just kind of comparing and contrasting the two of them, um, you've got a guerrilla force with 20,000 people, you've got 260-ish people in in old-fashioned airplanes that need to be um they need to fly from somewhere yeah so i think though that the greatest strength of the ypj rests not like doesn't rest in their numbers or anything like that no and it's taking nothing away from from the night witches yeah and the the other all-female units yeah um but we're dealing with an all-fucking-female armed force in the Middle East. Yeah, Literally in the, in the very centre in, Roja, in uh, Rojava of ISIS-occupied territory, the Turkish government, the Syrian government to the south. They are just surrounded on all sides by governments and military units who think that their very existence is an affront to God. Yeah, it's a complete anathema. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like I said earlier on, the whole all-female militia thing is really a deal-breaker. Women doing anything other than wearing the hijab and shutting up right. is verboten. And the YPJ have kind of... They've done a lot to change how women are seen in the Middle East in general. That's interesting. And in the in the Muslim world. Yeah. Just in terms of, okay, so the, this is what what happens when women... I'm, I'm, I'm straying into some dangerous yeah, territory. Yeah, you are straying into some dangerous territory, Drew. Um, this isn't to say that this is a blanket thing of Muslims. Yeah. You know, it absolutely is not. It's just that particular breed of... You're kind of the, looking the at Wahab. regimes yeah, that are restrictive on... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Regimes that use this twisted example of Sharia law to subjugate women. Yeah, That the, the Wahhabi kind of view of, of Islam 
um, from from Saudi Arabia that says, yeah, women are second class citizens, and that's not a religion thing. It's a dickhead men thing. It's a politic, yeah, man, yeah a man it, politics yeah, thing. It, yeah, course. it's a man politics thing, and it's a using God to justify the fact that. I'm a fucking prick. Then. And also, we have war going on here. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Which is a huge factor in this. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I mean, your guys don't have Stalin the, behind the, the lines, like just executing people for yeah. getting in the way of, of you know, of, of obstructing the, the, your line of duty. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that that's probably. I mean, it's it's not to say that the night witches haven't got their own oh god absolutely not yeah, their, their own institutional sexism yeah and that they pro- that they were like seen as second class citizens yeah I mean to a certain extent like they had their own sort of admirers too I think but they they certainly weren't it, it wasn't like an illegal military unit on the Soviet side of things it was state sanctioned yeah yeah and yeah. Um, they they nominally had. Soviet Russia behind them. Yeah, I mean, they very literally had Soviet Russia behind them. It, yeah. They, obviously, we've talked, I talked briefly about how they were mistreated and they were sort of um, looked down upon by sort of chauvinistic elements within in the Soviet uh, structure, which would have probably been a very big section of the Soviet structure. Yeah. But at the same not... time, they were heroes of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And they're, they're heroes to the Rojava and they are but heroes to the um, Rojava region. Yeah. Um, that they've kind of taken over. Um, along with their, um, along with their allies, and when they liberate areas, um, they're heroes to them as well. But the, yeah, they're pretty much hemmed in on all sides by existential threat yeah. to their existence. I'm not growing. I think I'll give this one to you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so as I think is tradition, agility is next. Yes, it is. At this um, time, separated out from strength, as it yeah. sometimes is. Yeah, indeed. Um, you're going to get me on this one for this is exactly the same reason as last episode, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, so, while well, I did mention that there is some limited US air support in some engagements that the uh, the YPJ take part in, the, the larger ones, and that they use guerrilla tactics, so they, they're very mobile and they... They're skilled in moving around mountains, which the Rojava region very much. It's a very mountainous region. Um, it doesn't fucking matter though, does it? Because the night witches can fly. Can fly. That's yeah. literally what they're all about. That's it. I mean, we've sort of talked quite respectfully about these, how, how much we come to admire these as we've learned more about them. But uh, for this one, my guys can fly, man. Yeah, you <laughs> guys, yeah, yeah, your guys can fucking fly. The, the Narthexen can fly. And I think that's it. And also, these planes were very manoeuvrable, actually. Yeah. You'd think they wouldn't be, considering what I've said about them, but they were considered to be slow, but very manoeuvrable planes. But and even then, they are like these flying nightmare machines. Yeah. It's like the, the, the noise of death. I couldn't help the, but think a lot. The chattering fucking brum of... <laughs> I couldn't help but think of like Dick Dastardly and Muttley's planes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that came up a lot. It is, it is quite... Uh, Dustley and Muttley in their flying machines. Yeah, every time I see a picture of one of them, I'm like, that's like Muttley in the back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, do we need to go into this any further? No, no. You, you're you, happy with that? Yeah, you're made in t- your unit is made entirely out of aviators, <laughs> each of whom has a plane. There's no contest, agility uh, goes to the Night Witches. Yes. Okay, so the next section is intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working uh, on intelligence for a unit, yeah, as opposed to a, an individual 
So I guess intelligence in, in this element is flexibility and the ability to adapt to their situations. Yeah. And I'm just going to run through that shit again about what they do. Yeah, okay. So we've got climbing out onto the fuselage of the planes to fix the engines in mid-flight. Fucking crazy. To drop bombs in mid-flight. Yeah. You've got um, flying from uh, like so close to the, the front line to drop your bombs and get back really quickly. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a risk of, of, of the airfield being captured... It's the best way of delivering this. The tactic of cutting your engines out before you fly over what is essentially a vastly superior defended enemy position. Oh, yeah, yeah. And by doing that, you're not just harassment bombing, but you're psychologically terrifying the shit. I know, like, that's like, so fucking clever. <laughs> uh, like, oh, just using the fact that you've got a loud-ass fucking plane, which, you know, wouldn't really be generally thought of as an advantage for a bomber. No. Not but at all. Using it as a form of psychological warfare—that's it is ingenious. Flying below two hundred feet as well while you while you it's oh, Yeah, I would love. I really love to hear what it sounds like in real life. Me too. I, want them to, cause I was thinking that as you were. I know there's replicas, it. but I'm sure that there's no way in hell any like safety authority would allow you to do this in, yeah. in, in, in the modern world. But I would absolutely love. I hope there's out there would, somewhere recording of that sound. Would they have been like? the first wave before an attack by land came as well or was it a case of oh well fuck with them overnight because I'm just imagining like instead of the boom of artillery it is the yeah as that that being the not only are you about to get fucking firebombed but there is a battalion on its way in as well. Yeah, I mean, you know? sure, yeah. I mean, these were every night, so yeah. it was probably a mixed bag of mental torture. Yeah, I mean, obviously they weren't attacking everywhere every night, but yeah. you had to stay awake mm. because this was this was some clever shit going down here. Yeah. And this is very good Soviet ingenuity. I don't know if this, like the tactics originated with them, but they were certainly refined and expanded upon greatly by... By these guys using these planes, and like I said before, and even if it wasn't an intention to start with, that recognizing the fact that it's doing that, yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, you can, you know, you can fuck them up as well by cutting your engines. What's the name of that dive bomber? That Nazi dive bomber? Um, I always forget the name. It's the one. Uh, I'll look it up and I'll post it on the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But like that was the same kind of principle where he would just dive and he would make that. A screaming, oh, sound. Yeah. a screaming sound that we associate with falling planes, but I think is one of those things like horses like clopping their hooves, yeah. which only actually happens in a very certain set of circumstances. I, I think in war, if you're given a nickname, you're scary. Yeah, for sure, yeah. You know, so like screaming memes in Vietnam and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Isn't if, you earn a, if you earn an enemy nickname, then yeah, you scare yeah, them. You scare the crap out of them. And yeah, there's a whole psychological warfare going on there. Psychological warfare is a smart way of fighting. Yeah. And that's my, that's my stance. Um, I couldn't find any kind of actual account of this, but I imagine that it's a pretty effective means of psychological warfare against ISIS to be a woman aiming the gun at them. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's definitely something there. This was huge and, against the, the Nazis too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, they were, they were like, it was humiliating for them initially. Yeah. Until it became fucking terrifying. Yeah, and for ISIS, it's just something that's impossible. Yeah. You know, how, how was this even, 
fucking happening to yeah. me, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like we were saying, the um, the YPJ is also very mobile, uh, very well adapted to the, the mountainous regions that surround it. Um, and just the, their use of uh, improvised weaponry during the Battle of Kobane as well. Have we got two battles of Kobane? Have you it's got one as Kobane. well? Kobane, it's, like, it's spelled like Cuban with a K. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just the, the, I couldn't find any pictures of what the tank made from pickup trucks and JCBs look like. Do you reckon it looked like but, that killdozer that a guy in America made a few years ago? Oh, Martin, Marvin, Heeman, Hemeyer, <laughs> yeah. something like that. Oh, the, oh, the fucking killdozer guy. But yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm imagining as well. Like, um... Like a villain's vehicle from Mask. Yeah, you know, yeah. Along those lines. You ever see, like, um... This, like, fucking Israeli... Like, armoured... Like, settlement-removing truck things, you know? No. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm kind of picturing. It's like... It looks like instrument a, for evil right there as well. <laughs> it looks like a big sort of, like, um... Bulldozer-y thing. Where it's, like, covered in armour. Like, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm... Like that, but maybe a little bit more sort of... Sort of, like... Hobbycraft. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? There's more pipe cleaners involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. But yeah, um, so kind of that's what I've got for um, for intelligence. But I think that the whole use of psychological warfare in that I'm a woman pointing a gun at you, ISIS. Um, it, it's not the intention I don't think the, the fact that the YPJ exists is more yeah. about Kurdish society and yeah, the, it's, it's and a the fight society, for survival yeah, yeah and, and the society and politics of Rojava in particular Look, this is a tight but, one because this is a guerrilla force and you know they're, they're acting this way they're, they're, they're sort of providing um, uh, fear tactics you know, against their enemies but yeah they're, they're just, both they're both guerrilla forces in a way yeah exactly they are yeah. they absolutely are yeah but I, I I will kind of push on this uh, very fucking unusual. Oh, I'll 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 concede. <laughs> the niche tactic that they've uh, that they've drawn out for themselves. As w- the, the languages. I will concede that it's the the use of the noise is so fucking clever. It's so good. It, it just on that on the basis of that one thing, it just oh, it, it is so fucking cool. And I just and the painting of flowers on there while they I do know. it as well. Just like doing things to make their like, and that must be so annoying if you're a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, be, yeah, exactly. As a Nazi, pumped. just like oh, f- fucking woman. You find a, a shop down one. It's like it's covered in flowers. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm shocked that we've gone this far with like only very few comedy German and comedy Russian accents. I know, I know. We're doing so well. <laughs> or are, are we doing well or badly? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what the. I'm sure we'll squeeze a few more out before the end of the episode. Oh, we we kind of have to. So, um, intelligence goes to the night witches. Night witches, cool. Okay, so next up, resilience. Yeah. And I think you're on the front foot with this one, aren't you? I think so. Do you want um, to go first? So, um, I think just the fact that they and the forces that they work with even exist to start with. Yeah, is a, a testament to their uh, um, to their resilience. So, like, along with the Yazidi self defense force that I mentioned earlier, that they inspired the creation of. They've directly inspired other female, uh, all female fighting units from around the region as well. Yeah, that are more centered towards their culture and ethnicity. Okay. So you've, there's the uh, Beth Narain Women's 
Protection Forces, and there's female auxiliaries of the Albab Military Council, Jabat al Akrad, and um, the Thura al Raqqa. I'm sorry, I was doing so fucking well. You were doing really well. I was doing well, I, but I messed that up entirely. Um, so, it, so they're kind of self replenishing in a way. Yeah. So, like, it, no matter how many they lose, there will be these kind of client forces that are joining up with them and working with them, they're trained by them. But also when they liberate an area, loads of the women there will want to join up with yeah, them as well. Do the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just them, and along with the YPG, which is the all-male um, fighting force, and just the other fighting forces that come under the Syrian uh, Democratic Forces. Yeah. And they've managed to take this area um, in, in Rojava that is being just governed by them and they're kind of one of the success stories of the Arab Spring. Okay. Almost in that well no they they are. In that no matter how badly the rest of Syria is deteriorating, them along to a certain extent with Iraqi Kurdistan as well, they've got this enclave that they are governing themselves. And through kind of like a little bit of military support from America is starting to be recognised by the rest of the world as well. Sure thing. So, yeah, there's there's my resilience. That's it's not just a matter of how well they can withstand an attack because because yeah. they can. Yeah. You know, they've invaded and taken over an area. Not well, invaded. They've taken over an area, and they are repelling forces. So there's military resilience. Okay. But also this cultural resilience. Sure. So, I mean, from my side of things, like, you have to recognise that this is an incredibly resilient force. This is formed by some incredibly resilient women who did it by force of their, of their will. Um, it's, it's another case of the fact that they exist shows how resilient they are. Oh, for sure, yeah. 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 I mean, like, after the war, after the crisis of the war was over, this sort of faded away, and I don't think, I don't think that women can be pilots nowadays in... in, mm-hmm. in uh, it's sort of uh, quote unquote capitalist Russia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Ah, um, oh, fucking Russia. Right? Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> um, do you want a book recommendation? Yeah. Um, read uh, Everything is True. Uh, sorry, uh, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible by Peter something. Peter something. Peter something. <laughs> P- Peter, Peter Russian surname. I can't, okay. I can't remember his name. I'll get it. Um, I'll get it. We'll put uh, it up. Break. We'll put it up. <laughs> um, but it's about like modern Russia. His yeah. his parents were taken by the KGB when he was a child. He moved to Britain and then moved back to Russia and worked for ten years as a television producer. And it's just the the way that Russia has kind of managed to become the the template for the post truth world that we live in, where this whole thing of just you can't tell where the line is between reality and, and, fiction, and yeah. fiction anymore. And just the ballooning of fake news and and like the moulding of political ideology as, as being like the new the new religion yeah, almost. The, sure. the new thing for everyone to be angry to, at each to, other yeah, about. To get behind it and to be angry about, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, slight digression, sorry. No, no, that's absolutely it's, fine. It's a fucking great book. Um, I think the in, in in terms of resilience though my this is where my strength as uh, well sorry I should say my agility sort of uh, comes home to roost 
if you will, if you'll excuse the aviation pun. Hey. Um, because is it basically that they're flying a bunch of wicker men? Yeah, they're flying wicker men. Yeah, they're flying canvas and wood covered airplanes. They are very, very susceptible to all kinds of things. Like they, they're they're a glass jaw. Yeah, they yeah. They, they can attack. Yeah, with, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. With an incredible amount of force, but their planes can't really defend themselves that well, apart from being incredibly slow mm. and obviously they're, very, that's they're vulnerable fu- again that's fucking great such a great fact I love that J- just using a disadvantage as an advantage yeah so clever <laughs> yeah um, but and also they're vulnerable on the ground yeah too. Um, they're not uh, a melee fighting unit and they can be overrun they can be defeated that way uh, whereas yeah for sure the, uh, the YPJ are able to disappear, melt into the countryside, do yeah. that melt cool, into the mountains. really cool gorilla thing. Yeah. So I, I will hand you resilience. Thank, thank you very much. And uh, we'll, we'll close this one. Cool. So, wild card round. Yeah. This, uh, this was difficult because initially the plan for the wild card was going to be sort of comparing and contrasting the weapons that they have. But we've kind of... We've covered it. Covered it extensively. We've definitely covered it. Extensively. So we're kind of left with... We've got a draw so far. Two to the YPJ, two to the Night Witches. We've got them both facing off against each other in, in, a, in a combat zone. Yeah. And do you think they would even fight? It's funny you should mention that. Oh? Yeah, so... Um... Let's just talk about the politics okay. of the YPJ for a moment. Sure. So, the YPJ is uh, linked politically to the Democratic Unionist Party. Or okay. Democratic Union Party. Okay, not, not just... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, not that. Uh, the Democratic Union Party. Which, as I said earlier on, is based on the Kurdistan Workers' Party. Yeah. Uh, operating in Iraq and Turkey. So, they follow the ideology of a guy called Abdullah Akalan. Yeah. who is the, one of the imprisoned founders of the uh, PK, PKK. He okay. uh, op, uh, is imprisoned in Turkey at the moment. And he's the founder of uh, genealogy, which is one of their key guiding principles. So genealogy is the science of women, okay. um, which uh, states that a country can't be free unless its women are free, and that the level of freedom in a country, uh, sorry, level of women's freedom in a country can be used as to determine how free that country is. Right. Uh, he also invented a concept called democratic confederalism, um, which is like a, a society based on a network of autonomous communities that are linked to other committees, uh, sorry, other communities via an elected council. Right. And the communities, communities themselves make all of their decisions and they just kind of so this it like, becomes a consensus in the... Like in the a reverse Soviet. Yeah, yeah, like a reverse Soviet. <laughs> right. Kind of. Okay. With the power going up rather than down. So you're saying... So decisions... Yeah. ...are made by the communes within the individual communities. All property... There's no private property. Yeah. It's all owned by use. So it means that no one has any rights to sell or have, like, sole ownership of... Infrastructure, buildings, anything like that. So no that. one's going to take my pants off. No, no one's going to take your pants off you. Good. So, mate, um, they're anarcho-socialists. Other YPJ. From the same fucking side, man. 
So basically, they don't have to fight. <laughs> so you're saying that you get one of your people to kind of come into my sneak into my camp in a guerrilla style. Yeah, because you're you're up in the mountains and yeah. the OBJ can just come yeah, back. Yeah, they can sneak in. We're we're there. We've got like a rare field set up, and they're like, "Why are we even bothering to do this? Don't fucking need it." USA we're, we're support. Not, we're not each other's enemies. No. We can we can do figure this out between us. Yeah, you got any? Dickhead male death cults that need oh my god that need spanking both of them do yeah <laughs> so is this the cool Martha ending this then? is the cool version of the Martha ending the cool I'm writing this down for austerity <laughs> the cool Martha ending yeah they they don't have the same named mother what they've got it's the same socialist heart beating in their chests <laughs> and a thirst for equality and a thirst for equality and you know large woman's army turns on man with the scariest air support <laughs> the most terrifying air support in the world that modern planes can't even get near them because <laughs> they're too fucking fast <laughs> a woman inherits the earth yeah I'm I'm actually happy with that if anything we have lost you and I yeah by just um, just existing yeah which uh, is what we deserve and they <laughs> and they could make us fight for their enjoyment I, I, I mean I they would, wouldn't because they're cool I would hope that I would at least have a chance to like do some administrative work for them and mm. I don't think that they would value me that highly in a fight no, um, no. I mean if we were to fight and, 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 well you know you know that's a, yeah that's a, that's we'll a, manage their network for them yeah 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 we'll do their IT yeah there we go <laughs> excellent stuff so um, the winner of this fight is womankind Thank God. <laughs> Finally. Death to the patriarchy. I, for one, welcome our female overlords. I, I for one, welcome our female overladies. <laughs> is that... I don't think you can say that. I can't say it. I definitely can't say that. Um, so, uh, it is a glorious draw. Yeah, I, I accept that because, like, I, from the very start of this, like like I said before, picking up on some of the things that you've said and listening to a couple of um, Nick's uh, podcasts, Explaining History podcasts, about this region to try to fill out my knowledge of it before we came in today. I was like, this is not going to be the one that is going to be easy at all to, no. to put to any side. No, it's it's another, we kind of don't want them to fight, but we make things fight. We, we do make it, things fight. It's a lot in life. Yeah, it is a lot in life. We've been forced to do this by our grandfather. <laughs> John Q, fight me. <laughs> Atticus P, make fight. No, and that's cool. I, I like it. I want them to be a big, like, time-travelling ally team that then maybe goes into the future and gets really futuristic mech suits and comes back and, yeah. and just sorts the planet out. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm well happy with they that. They could, like, banish Donald Trump to Greenland. Where he could no, that's what he space. wants. Yeah, but he wants to own it. Oh, so is it a case of like, ah, like Greenland, dear Donald, have all the Greenland in the world. <laughs> well, don't give him all of the Greenland, just give him a very small piece of it. Give him a shit bit. Yeah, give him a shit bit with a wall around it. Yeah. Because he likes that. He loves walls. So, okay, we've, um, we've, we, I can't, we, we haven't done anything really. No. <laughs> we, we've just allowed we've chatted shit for an hour something else to speak for themselves. And, uh, yeah, it, it was fantastic. It was one of the most interesting topics that we've covered and like, this is definitely the one I'd be most excited about. I know I get more excited you, as yeah, I go along yeah day by day yeah um, I think I might be more excited than anything about our next one oh, I'm not going to say where God. it is but holy shit so just a little clear for you we're coming back down to a one-on-one fight 
mm-hmm. next time around. We've actually got our shit together enough to know which one we're going to do. Yeah. Because although we have lots of ideas, it often takes a lot of thinking as to what we're going to do. So next next time, you're in for a real magical time. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a, a, a good fight. It's going to be a real rocket buster. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I guess uh, let's wrap this shit up. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so as always, follow us on all of the social media. So that we uh, we make things fight on Instagram. We have a Facebook uh, page, which is we make things fight. Coming soon, a Facebook group yeah, as well, we, so you can fight each other. Yeah. Uh, in a moderated environment. Um, heavily moderated. Heavily moderated. Our Twitter is uh, make underscore fight. Um, you can contact us via email at we make things fight at gmail.com. Yeah, and remember, you can send us um, emails uh, or any kind of messages on any of the platforms with ideas for fights, complaints. You can tell us off about our pronunciation of things. Please you, do, it's the only way we'll learn. Continue to send us your fight drawings because I've been really Please. enjoying some of those. There's some <laughs> yeah, real great. funny fight drawings. And, uh, like I said, continue to drop us messages and any, anything you want, really. Uh, I'm going to post up some pictures, which you'll already probably be seeing by the time you're listening to this, onto Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, uh, showing some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight. And, hey, if you, uh, if you enjoyed this and you weren't too offended, um, you recommend us to someone. You know, spread the, spread the joy. Yeah, give us a recommendation and um, like us and recommend us on Apple Podcasts as well. Yeah. Because that helps us no end. Um, okay, uh, if there's nothing else... Nothing else for me. Uh, there's nothing else for me. Hail Martha. Good night. Good night. <laughs>